TGIM, Timari. This is episode 305. I don't need an outlet like that anymore. I just don't automatically turn to like, oh, I need something to, to pull me away from this. It's more of like, if I do have difficult moments, I just know that there's other ways to get through them. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Sarah. Sarah took her last drink on April 22nd, 2019. She is from Wisconsin and she is 30 years old. And before we get started, I wanted to make sure to remind you all that registration is now open for our Restore course launching January 1st. I know that I've mentioned this a few times in the last couple of weeks, and I just want to make sure that you don't miss out on this. This course is open to everybody. And if you're looking for support during your decision to pursue an alcohol-free journey, this is for you. Registration and details are live at recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore. This course will be all on Zoom, and you're going to connect with others from across the globe. We're going to learn tools and techniques to help with life stressors and more. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be teaching one of the sessions and I can't wait to see some of you there. I'm really looking forward to it. Alrighty, let's work on finding your better you. I just received Rupi Kaur's. I want to say Rupi Kaur, but that's not how you say it. I googled it. Rupi Kaur, I think. (laughs) Anyway, I just received her new book in the mail. It's called Homebody. This book is all about connecting our mind, body and spirit. It's about coming back to yourself. So I knew I had to bring it up on here because I have been talking about sobriety being a return to yourself, a return home. So it's just very fitting. She doesn't necessarily write about recovery, but a lot of her themes really resonate with me. And I just think about recovery inevitably. Uh, If you haven't heard about Ruby, she's a Canadian poet, and I've been following her for years, so I was very excited when I found out that she was releasing a new book, and I pre-ordered it, and it finally got to my house. Her writing is super raw and honest, and her work is just one of those things that make me feel connected, and it makes me realize that so many of us are going through the exact same struggles, even though the context of our lives are completely different and unique. And I want to welcome this week with an intention. I want to give everyone a permission slip to take care of themselves this week. I want us all to remember our power, to reclaim that power, to reclaim that confidence, to focus so much on what makes you feel good that there is very little to no room for negativity. Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, this time of year brings many emotions. Emotions, I think, are only scary when they feel unmanageable. When that overwhelm kicks in and we open the door to spiraling and to negative train of thoughts, we're basically opening the door to fear, in my opinion. And my hope is that we can all make this week manageable. You know, life isn't perfect, but I do believe that when we use our tools, we make life manageable. I really hope that we can all realize that we can hold space for everything that we are feeling. We can hold it. We can feel it passes through. We can let it go. We are so capable. If this year hasn't taught us that, I don't know what else we've learned. I mean, we are so capable. I want to read a page of this book. 
This is page 35, and it says, list of things to heal your mood. Number one, cry it, walk it, write it, scream it, dance it out of your body. Number two, if after all that, you are still spiraling out of control, ask yourself if sinking into the mud is worth it. Number three, the answer is no. Number four, the answer is breathe. Number five, sip tea and feel your nervous system settle. Number six, you are the hero of your life. Number seven, this feeling doesn't have power over you. Number eight, the universe has prepared you to handle this. Number nine, no matter how dark it gets, the light is always on its way. Number 10, you are the light. Number 11, walk yourself back to where the love lives. I love this poem. It's beautiful and it also reminds us of some action steps that we can take in order to feel better. So keep this close this week. It's easy to forget that in healing ourselves, we heal the world. So let's try to remember together. And I'm going to have Katie add this poem to the show notes and I'm also going to post it on social media. So if you like it and you want to keep it close, just take a screenshot from our Instagram and maybe make it your wallpaper for the week. All right, friends, eso es todo. And before we hear from Sarah, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. For years, I tried to control my drinking on my own, but I always felt alone and like I needed something else. When I discovered Cafe Ari, I realized there were so many people just like me looking for a better life. Cafe Ari is a private, unsearchable Facebook group that provides 24-7 access to a community of people whose goal it is to live a life without alcohol. With supportive and educational webinars hosted throughout the week, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with others on the same path. Cafe RE is a place where we grow and learn together. And with golden rule number 22, we have a lot of fun while doing it. For just $19 a month, you'll have access to the community, all of our online webinars, the opportunity to attend in-person meetups, get discounts on sober travel trips, and get assigned an accountability partner. 15% of monthly membership even goes towards our service project, where we partner with nonprofits to help those affected by addiction. Head over to recoveryelevator.com and use the promotional code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. We hope to see you there. Sarah, how are you? Hi, Odette. I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm really excited that you said yes to coming on to share your story. So thank you once again. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm yeah, I'm like I'm nervous, um, but I know that hearing other people's stories was really important in the beginning of my journey. So I'm hoping that by sharing mine, I'll help somebody else or make them feel inspired to start their journey or continue their journey. So I'm excited to have this talk today. Yes, thank you. And listeners, I had the pleasure of meeting Sarah at Bozeman last year when we had our recovery elevator retreat there. So I haven't seen her in the flesh in over a year, but we've stayed connected via social media and she's doing great work. So I'm really happy she's here. And let's get right to it, Sarah. When was the last time you had a drink? My last drink was on Easter Sunday of 2019. So I have been alcohol-free since April 22nd, 2019. Awesome. And can you give listeners a little background? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun? So I am 30 years old. 
I live in Southeast Wisconsin, born and raised here. I have a husband. We just got married during quarantine. We have a son together. He'll be three in a few months. For work, I'm in marketing. And for fun, I enjoy running, reading, crafting. Um, I'm really into polymer clay earrings right now. So that's been keeping me busy. Um, I've also dabbled in macrame, cross-stitch, embroidery. So anything I can get my hands on. And then when we're not in quarantine, I love going to see live music. So I'm looking forward to be, being able to do that again. Yes, I've been wondering what our next concert will be. I'm like, oh, I wonder when the day will get here, when I'll be able to go to a concert and dance again, hopefully yes. sooner than later. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. And can you give listeners some background on your history with drinking? When did you start? When did you realize alcohol was no longer serving your goals? And when did you decide to pursue this path of alcohol-free living? I started drinking in high school when I was 14 or 15 years old. And pretty much from then on, I drank almost every weekend with my friends. Whenever we could find alcohol or get our hands on our parents' alcohol, we would drink. Um, so I was just a party girl. And going into college, I was already, you know, living that lifestyle and going out a lot. So my freshman year, I did really bad in school. My grades were horrible. All I did was party pretty much. And Again, the freshman 15, um, it just wasn't a good year for me. So I transferred schools my sophomore year and started to really focus on myself, my health. I was running, training for a 5K, and then eventually a half marathon. I did a lot better in school that year. I was still drinking and partying, but I definitely felt like I had a much better balance. Uh, but when I turned 21, of course, I could drink whenever I wanted. I could go out to the bars buy my own alcohol. So drinking really ramped up again. And I also made a new group of friends that year that I would go out with a lot, several times a week. I had a few friends that were bartenders in my college town. So we would go out a lot whenever there was you know, nothing else to do. We could just go down to the bar and being in a small town, it was very likely that you would run into somebody you knew. So it was just the place to go. And I thought that it was fine because that's what you did in college. You partied, you had a good time, so I didn't see it as an issue. And just being in Wisconsin, the drinking culture here is really strong. I know a lot of people say that where they're from, there's a heavy drinking culture, but it's a whole new level in Wisconsin. And just a funny story, the reason I found this podcast was someone recommended it to me because Paul did an episode about the top 20 drunkest cities in America. And Wisconsin showed up 12 times on the list. So, oh God, <laughs> it's definitely a thing here. <laughs> so, yeah, that really kept me drinking and not finding it uh, to be a problem. So, after college, I moved to Madison. I started my career and I was partying on the weekends still. And I just thought that's what you did was work all week, party on the weekends. And I remember getting to a point where I thought, like, am I getting too old for this? But I would see friends out on Saturdays, day drinking, Sunday fun days. So I really thought it was just normal. But I noticed it was a problem when I was 26. It was the fall of 2016. And I had been out with some friends drinking all day. Um, by the end of the night, 
I was really drunk and stirred up some drama with a friend and woke up the next day just feeling really ashamed of my behavior and just thought, you know, I can't keep doing this. That's not the person I want to be. I just feel really reckless and like I'm not taking things seriously. And at that time, a lot of people my age were starting to settle down and buy houses and start their families. And I just felt like I was stuck in college almost. So that was the first time I really thought, okay, I need to make a change here. And the first thought was I would just not drink hard alcohol, like maybe just have beer and wine, like that would solve things. But I did not stick to that plan. I just kept drinking my way through the year. And then in 2017, it was a new year. I decided, okay, I'm really going to give this a shot. And I'm only going to drink on special occasions. So I successfully did that. I made it over 60 days without a drink because I didn't have anything going on. It was the winter time here in Wisconsin. There's nothing to really do. So um, I also came across Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, during that time. And it really shifted my thoughts around alcohol and how it was showing up in my life. And so that really helped me stay on that path. But the first excuse to go drink was a friend's 30th birthday. And I went out for that. It was in March. And I was down at the bar for a few hours before I decided to cave in and just drink. So of course, as soon as I started drinking, I was up all night until four in the morning, woke up the next day hungover. And I wasn't upset with myself. I knew that I was still sticking to my decision to only drink on special occasions. But a couple weeks later, my now husband and I found out that we were pregnant. So I had to quit drinking for the rest of 2017. And so we found out end of March that we were pregnant. And then I had my son in December. So I pretty much spent that entire year not drinking. I remember being really excited to start drinking again. I missed it. And I definitely missed the old lifestyle I had. And I was so excited to just kind of have my body back and just be me, do do me. Little did I know that having a kid would change all of that and it wasn't going to be all about me anymore. So, you know, becoming a mom, that transition was difficult. I definitely missed my old life and turned to alcohol to, you know, cope with a hard day or just as a reward for making it through a difficult day. I was home with my son during the winter and didn't get out much. And it was really, really hard for me to take on that new identity as a mother. And I just felt like I missed my freedom mm -hmm. and I missed being able to go out and do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. So I remember thinking to myself, well, if I can't go out and drink with my friends, you know, I can drink at home. And so I would have drinks, you know, maybe a couple nights a week on the weekends. And I noticed that I just had more of an attachment, I think, to alcohol. You know, my husband is not really a drinker. He's a social drinker, but he's not the kind of guy that comes home from work and has a beer. Like I would come home from work and pour a glass of wine or crack open a white claw. So I was always looking forward to a drink as an escape or just a, a treat for myself or, you know, things like that. So leading up to quitting drinking, finally, there had been a lot of times I went back and forth deciding, you know, is this what I want to do long term? Do I just need to moderate better? Do I just need to you know, take it easy. And over time, I realized that just taking it easy wasn't an option for me. You know, sometimes I could have one or two, but most of the time I went overboard and drank more than I wanted to. And I would just wake up feeling that shame 
um, and regret and just trying to like push through the day. And I was so sick of being in that cycle that eventually I had one more day where I just went overboard with my drinking on Easter Sunday (laughs) at my in-laws house. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's not an option. And I haven't turned back. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like I'm, I'm in my notes here. I wrote like at 26 when you said, I think this is a problem. It sounds like that's when your self-awareness woke up. And I feel like even though you didn't get to quitting immediately, you had already kind of ruined drinking for yourself. You already kind of knew you already started going in that direction and trying to quit even for the new year or during pregnancy. But I feel like there was already that seed that was planted that you were like, oh, this may not be the road for me. It just took a little bit of time. But I feel like the intention was set back when you were 26. Would you kind of agree? Yeah, definitely. When I think back on my journey, I describe it as a three year journey. You know, I initially thought that I just needed to moderate and, you know, try taking these things out or just try saving it for special occasions. And there were periods of time in there too, where I would do a whole 30 or just take a little break. And so I always felt like I, I could, you know, get it under control, but then I would always go back to what I did before. And so it was three years of a learning process, really. I really like how you word it as like, my journey has been a three-year journey because I do think that one of the things I like to talk about on here is the fact that journeys aren't a straight line and there's a lot of learning and growth when you're still trying to figure out even how it is that you're not going to drink anymore and that totally counts as part of your journey you know those Mm -hmm. days count those moments where we're still drinking I mean I love that you mentioned Annie Grace. I feel like every single person that I bring on to interview talks about Annie Grace. She does a really good job at just speaking about it from like what it does to your brain and really helps you reframe the relationship that you have with alcohol. And I feel like even if you drink after that, you can't unknow what you've learned. So you're kind of stuck with this new information that even if you want to shove it away, you kind of can't. Yeah, exactly. And every time I go to the gas station or I look at the ingredients on hand sanitizer and it says ethanol, I just think of alcohol because of her book. I never thought of it that way. And I'm like, okay, the same thing that's going in our gasoline or our hand sanitizer is the same thing that we're all drinking. Exactly. It's toxic. And there's no really any other, there's no way around that. And I really appreciate your honesty around your emotional process after having your son. He's really cute, by the way. I know him through Instagram. <laughs> guys, but, um, I think it takes a lot of courage to share that even though we love our kids with all of our hearts, we also grieve like we grieve our past identity or past life. And a lot of not just women, but I also feel like a lot of dads and a lot of parents use alcohol to cope with this grief. It's like with this new joy, with this new grief, with this loss, with this new beginnings. It's just so many emotions come with the journey of parenting. And I really want to thank you for for sharing some of that. And honestly, as the kids get older, I don't know about you, you have a three year old, just like I do. And the tantrums are definitely something that just is triggering sometimes. So being sober when you have young kids, I think is a true testament to just learning to sit with discomfort. Yeah, I totally agree. And actually, one thing that I noticed when I quit drinking is that 
I had a lot more patience for that. I mean, I remember moments where my son was just screaming in the back car, in the back of my car on the way home from work. I have a 45 minute commute and he would just scream the whole time and I just would breathe through it. I'm just like, okay. But before I probably would have been like, oh my gosh, I need to get home and have a drink. Like I am done. But not drinking has taught me how to have way more patience and just, you know, let him, you know, let him get his feelings out the way he needs to. And I can get my feelings out, um, but not having to like turn to something and fix it or like ignore it. So that's been um, something that's been eye opening for me. Yes, it's great to just be present and learn to use your tools because they're always watching. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're learning from us. And I love that you shared just that like very socially accepted dynamic of I mean, we see it in movies all all the time of I'm going to go home after work and, and I can imagine and like even hear the sound of like someone cracking open the fridge and then opening a beer. And it's so common. And it's so established, like I said, in film and shows and a lot of the media that we see. And I don't know about you, but I've learned through this journey that like, oh, there's actually a lot of different things that I can do after work that make me feel rewarded. I don't have to do that thing that it feels like everybody does them. But case in point, your husband isn't someone who does that on a regular basis or normal drinkers may not just every day go home to open up a beer. But I do feel like that idea is very normalized and kind of sold to us by the media. So has it been cool kind of seeing replacements and different ways that you can unwind or reward yourself at the end of a long day? Yeah, um, we like to try different mocktails. And my refrigerator downstairs used to be a beer fridge. It is now an NA fridge. I completely overtook it with seltzer and NA beers and different things. So it's cool to still have different options that if we want something kind of special, we'll do that. Um, But, you know, I don't have that same need anymore where I'm like, oh, I, you know, hard day, I need a treat or like I deserve a break or something like that. And if I do have a hard day, I just learned how to, you know, sit with those feelings or turn to something that's just relaxing or I can get my mind off of. So I remember one time during quarantine, I had a really, really hard day and it was definitely something that would have triggered me to drink previously. But I just was like, I need to go lay in my room with my headphones on. I'm going to blast some music and just breathe for like 10 minutes and I'll be fine. And then I also had some peanut M&Ms. That's my other coping mechanism, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, A little little candy, but um, just like, yeah, not having to always have that. Like, I don't need an outlet like that anymore. I just don't automatically turn to like, oh, I need something to, to pull me away from this. It's more of like, if I do have difficult moments, I just know that there's other ways to get through them. That's very powerful. Talk to me a little bit about you starting this journey last year in April and already being in a relationship. Did you immediately have a conversation with your husband? I know you guys weren't married at the time, but how was that dynamic at home for you just starting this new chapter and needing some support? Yeah, he was really supportive. He had never said anything to me about my drinking, but it definitely caused a lot of arguments between the two of us. I would tend to get kind of sassy by the end of the night and just stir the pot. So it has actually been a really positive change for us. But I was worried in the beginning because we met through partying. And actually, the very first time that he saw me was at my best friend's new apartment. We had 
like a housewarming party and I passed out just like on the floor and he came to the party later on. He's like, oh, who's that girl? And she's like, that's my new friend, Sarah. So great first impression. Um, but we eventually became friends, you know, going out at the bars and stuff. And we were friends for a few years before we started dating. But partying was a really big part of our relationship for a long time. And so I was really nervous of how our dynamic would change. You know, we had a kid and that definitely changed things because we had to stay home more and just couldn't go out as much. So um, that was kind of a good transition leading up to me finally quitting. But um, I did notice that once I gave up alcohol, we got along a lot better. And he's always been super supportive. I know he's always just kind of gone with whatever I've wanted to do and supported me no matter what. So I think that he did see some problems or maybe wasn't the happiest with some of the decisions I made when I was drinking, but he always was there to support me through it. So um, yeah, our relationship is a lot better now without it in the picture. Thanks for talking a little bit about that. We do get a lot of questions from people who ask about dynamics and relationships. And I do like acknowledging that it's definitely a transition, especially as you said, if you were used to drinking together, or if it was part of the dynamic, but it's, it's just like any other change, you know, you adjust to new, di to new dynamics, new things you guys can do together. And I do feel like in the end, it's really nice to see the bond strengthen and it just being present. And like you said, I, I personally also know that my patients would run thin when I was couple of drinks in and I wouldn't be the nicest and I've always said just like alcohol doesn't make me my best self so it's really cool I think like cleaning up your side of the street and being like well this is my or a path towards my best self and that's what you're bringing to the relationship so that's been really fun to watch and fun to watch you get married during quarantine too and just, <laughs> I'm sure that was stressful but it was a beautiful wedding and I'm sure it would have been very different if you wouldn't have been sober Exactly. And that was something that before I quit drinking, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm I, I can't get married and not have alcohol. I can't like, you know, do all turn 30 and not have alcohol. I can't all these things in my life. I was so concerned about it. And you know, getting married, you just always think about having this big party. And I used to want to have a big, huge wedding and a party. But we actually decided that we didn't want the big wedding. We just wanted it to be about us and we wanted something very simple. So even though quarantine, you know, a lot of people have been eloping, we decided to do that on our own and it was really special. And my mother-in-law packed us two bottles of champagne. One was non-alcoholic and she labeled the bottles his and hers. So it's really nice because my family has been really supportive and friends have been really supportive and my husband, of course. So it's just it's cool that I've been able to really embrace this lifestyle and have so many people that are supporting me along the way. That's really sweet. I love that she had your back and that like ultimately no one, no one even notices, nobody even cares. And I know you guys had a small wedding, but even if you had had a huge party, it's like his and hers and people are there to celebrate you guys. And I'm sure that you can remember everything super clearly. So that's, that's a total perk of, sobriety. And I do want to talk about your relationship with social media and how from the beginning you started sharing about your journey. I don't know how many months you were in, but I, I actually haven't asked you this question offline. Did you start using social media as a way to find community since where you live? Like you said, there's a lot of drinking culture or tell me a little bit more of how you built 
community and friends and found people that were also on this path? So when I was on my moderation journey uh, three years ago, well, four years ago now, I did come across Holly Whitaker and a couple other accounts on Instagram that were talking about being alcohol free. And so when I got back into that zone of like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about this again, I'm considering just quitting altogether. I went back on Instagram and found those accounts again. And from there, I saw that the community online had just really blown up. There was a lot more people talking about it. And I saw tons of before and after pictures of people who had quit drinking. And I was so inspired seeing their stories and seeing, you know, women my age, especially that had really turned their lives around and got rid of that party girl lifestyle and were just living. And I thought to myself, oh, I, I want to be that before and after picture. Like I want that life. And so when I decided to quit drinking, I immediately started an Instagram page and I just started posting on there. I found 1000 hours dry. It was a new community on Instagram and they were doing a challenge starting on May 1st. So that was just about a week and a half after I quit drinking. And it was a six weeks uh, no drinking challenge. And so I asked my best friend to do it with me and she's like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And so um, I knew I was done for the long term. I didn't know what she was going to do after, but she's actually hasn't drank since then either. So she just hit 16 months alcohol free. And so right away, I had a friend to turn to um, right by my side, which was amazing. And I just started journaling on my account. And I eventually met some other women in my area that had also quit drinking. And it was really cool because I didn't expect to find people online. But the more and more I met people from Wisconsin, the more I saw that there was a need to create community here. And so I decided to host some in-person meetups. I held my first one last August. It was a brunch and it was five of us that came to that brunch and it was so much fun. I was super nervous, but like sitting down at the table, we all just started talking right away. We weren't even talking about sobriety or anything like that. We were just like jib jabbering about whatever. And it was like having a bunch of girlfriends that you used to go to school with and just come back together. And the conversation was flowing. It was really fun. So I held a couple more meetups after that and um, just really grew community that way. And Instagram has been a really huge part of that journey. Now I'm, I've am i launched New Fashion Sobriety with two of my friends, Jenny and Nicole, who I met through Instagram and came to some of my meetups. So we launched that this year and um, we are now doing virtual meetups twice a month that are free. We host in-person meetups. We've done two socially distanced in-person meetup so far. And we just had one last weekend with nine women there. So it's just been really fun to see people coming together around this and not feeling so ashamed about being alcohol free. Because I think for a while, at least for myself, it was really scary to think of myself as sober or like I'd be this weird, boring person. And you know, through my social media account and all the people I've met, I've really found that it's so much more fulfilling to be alcohol free. And I've met so many amazing people and the community we've created is just really cool. So um, it was definitely unexpected. I didn't know that it would turn into this, but I'm super happy that it did. And I'm really proud of the community that we've created. Yeah, it's been really neat to watch that unfold. And I feel like 
Instagram and all of these amazing groups of women and people doing meetups and creating really cool merch and getting together to just share how cool this journey can be. I feel like it needs to be picked up by, is that even a show still, Mythbusters, and be like the myth yeah. of sobriety being boring. Here's the proof of how yes. it's the total opposite. So it's really cool that you guys have really fun evidence and pictures and colorful like logos and imagery to just really showcase that because, I mean... The challenges in our lives definitely don't go away when we choose this path, but I do feel like everything just comes alive in a different way. And it's really neat to see more and more people understand that and us kind of debunk that myth collectively, because I do think it's one of the biggest fears of people who even tiptoe around the idea of sobriety is like, what am I going to do? Is it going to be boring? Am I going to not be fun anymore? And it's really not like that at all. Yeah, exactly. I remember being so afraid of what people would think and what my life would be like. And my life has just expanded and it's so much more fulfilling. And I know there are still really difficult times and there are times when I miss drinking and I miss just being able to let loose and have fun. But I have new new ways to have fun now and I, I don't need that back in my life. And I have just... I'm happy that I can show other people that they can do this too. It's it's just trying to empower people to say, hey, like I don't have to drink to have fun. I don't have to drink to fit in. Like I can do all these other things and just embracing that we don't have to drink to to live here or to get through family events or holidays or anything like that. We can just be ourselves and have fun. How was it going to that in-person retreat in Montana last year? I know, I think it was your first in-person big retreat. So how, how did you feel before and after that? <laughs> I was so nervous. I was also really scared about what my family would think because I, I like, in the beginning, I was very careful to say I'm alcohol free and I'm just not drinking. I didn't really want to throw around the word sobriety or recovery. I just, there's a lot of stigma around it and there still is. And, you know, I use the word sober or alcohol free kind of interchangeably, but I was just nervous how that would be perceived by other people. And I, I went, I didn't really know what to expect, but when I came down the elevator, I was shaking uncontrollably and I saw Carla there. Carla is sober on Instagram and we had already been connected through Instagram. So I was so happy to see her. She helped me calm my nerves. And then just getting there and talking with people, I was so happy and just surprised at how easy it was to connect with each other. Like even people that I normally probably wouldn't talk to in real life, we'd sit down for breakfast or lunch or dinner. And I would just have these amazing conversations with people. So I loved it. I'm so glad that I took a chance and put myself out there. And I came back with so many new tools and tons of new friends. I don't think what reminds me more of the first day of school than going to one of these for the first time where you're like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to talk <laughs> to people? And, and it's funny because my daughter just started kindergarten and she asked me the other day, hey, mom, how do you? how do you make friends? Like, how do I go and talk to people that I don't know? And it was funny, because we had this conversation of like, you just go up to them and maybe ask them their name or where they're from. And like, 
That's exactly mm-hmm. what happens when you go to one of these retreats. It feels so new and childish and those like emotions of nerves and especially because you're sober. So maybe a lot of the times when you go to conferences or parties and you don't know anyone, people do often drink to kind of break down that barrier. And when you are sober, you are completely present for everything you're feeling. So I, I hear you. I I've totally yeah. I totally relate to that feeling. Yeah, exactly. And you really have to put yourself out there. And I actually was talking with some friends about this. Like when I had done some meetups, I would set up like friend dates to have some one-on-one time to meet new people outside of the group. And it was like asking them on a date. I had to, I was so nervous and you don't want to be rejected. So, you know, going to the retreat, you want people to like you and you want to fit in and feel comfortable and you don't have that crutch of alcohol, but we had plenty of LaCroix and plenty of bubbly. So it was all good. Yeah, it's it's really cool because there's also a very different feeling that is created when you leave. And by the time you leave, you've created such strong connections and you feel so comfortable with these people that it it's interesting. Like the connection that's made, even if it's only for a few days, is so much deeper than maybe with with some friends that we have it's just we we skip all of the surface level talk we just get right into it oh yeah we do yeah there are things there's conversations I've had with my sober friends that I don't think I've had with other friends and it's amazing how you can just dive right in get to the nitty-gritty and you can just say whatever and your sober friends will totally accept it and they'll laugh with you they'll cry with you Um, it's definitely a different level of vulnerability and connection that you can form. Yeah, I love sometimes it's hard being on this journey. But I think that that in itself, just the connections and the friendships are the biggest gift that make it completely Mm -hmm. worthwhile, at least in my opinion. And now that you've been in this for a little bit over a year, more than over a year, I feel like time's flying this year. But tell me about your cravings. Do you still get cravings, Sarah? Not really. I did have a super random one, but it's really when I kind of romanticize like vacations or restaurants. Like one example is I was looking up a a supper club in Wisconsin that my friend and I are going to go to in a couple weeks. And it's like the number one rated supper club in Wisconsin. And out here, uh, brandy old fashions are like a big thing. So I was like, oh my gosh, that old fashioned looks so good. Like I might have to have one. And she said, I've been there before. And I'll just tell you, the old fashioned isn't as good as it looks, but like the food is amazing. And yes, we have to go. So she made me feel better. But um, other than that, I don't ever have any cravings per se. So it's really just more of like romanticizing sometimes like, oh, that would be so good. Or oh, that would make that way better. Yeah. And a lot of that is I think stems from the media. I mean, I definitely don't want to just be like the media, but I I mean, we see it in movies. We see these elegant, attractive people, just like what happened with cigarettes, right? The way that that idea is pitched to us is that we can be present and enjoy the moment and, and, and look all pretty and nice while we're doing it. But then all we have to do is kind of check in with our reality. And for me, it was like, well, it's going to be definitely more than one. And I'm probably going to not even focus on the food, which someone's already told you is really good. So it's just it just takes a little bit of creating a little gap between the thought and kind of checking yourself back in. But 
I'm sure you're going to have a blast and you're not even going to miss alcohol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, last weekend we went to a new brewery that's out here in the country, like at a farm in the middle of a field. And before we went, I looked online. I knew that they had food. I actually wanted to go just for the food. Um, but I looked on the menu to see if they had non-alcoholic options. And they had like three different types of kombucha. They had some LaCroix and some flavored lemonades. And so I went there and I got my kombucha. We ordered our giant pretzel and there was some live music. And it had the whole vibe and like this beautiful sunset. And so that is the whole part that I was craving when I was thinking about that that restaurant with the old fashioned and, you know, I can have it and not drink. I have, there's other options and you can still get that same ambiance without the alcohol. Yeah. Because truly what we're mostly looking for, I think when we do get that craving is we just want that connection. We just want mm -hmm. that experience. We just want that feeling of being a part of something and wanting to make a memory. And it's really cool. And we do have to be advocates for ourselves. I mean, I'm sure that if you go and ask them to make you that drink without alcohol, I'm 90% sure that they're that they're going to make they could make you a virgin anything, right? So a lot of mm -hmm. the times too is being an advocate for ourselves and like, okay, even if you hadn't seen anything on the menu being like, can you make me anything? Or can I add a little splash of something into my normal sparkling water that I drink basically every day, all day at home. <laughs> so I do like encouraging listeners to still try to make it special and realize that we do have that power to add a little, add a little spark of joy, even if you're not drinking and you can definitely ask for something that's not on the menu. Yeah, exactly. Tell me what are your most beloved tools in your sobriety tool belt? So podcasts are my number one. I listen to some sort of sobriety recovery podcast almost every single day. Recovery Elevator, obviously. Recovery Happy Hour. Take a Break from Drinking with Rachel Hart. I found that one to be really, really helpful when I was in the questioning stages still, and just any type of podcast that I can hear other people's stories. Um, so I still almost daily listen to podcasts. I also would recommend This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, um, as I had mentioned earlier. And the community on Instagram, um, there's a thousand hours dry, you know, all the podcast pages, recovery elevator, recovery, happy hour. Um, there's just a huge community on there. And I find that to be really, really helpful to check in and just being able to connect with other people. Yes. Thank you community. And tell me what your go-to response is when someone offers you a drink. Just curious, especially in Wisconsin <laughs> where everybody drinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, it varies. It depends on who it is. Um, I remember in the beginning, I would just say like, nah, I don't drink. Like it makes me feel like shit. So I don't want to feel that way anymore. And people be like, oh yeah, I agree. It does make you feel that way. So, you know, we kind of laugh about it, but I actually don't really have to, you know, turn anyone down or decline. Or if I just say no, thanks, I don't, I would, I don't like any. I usually come prepared when I go places and I bring my own drinks so I don't have to be in that awkward position where people are like, hey, can I get you a beer or wait, uh, we have water or milk. <laughs> so I just have my own stuff uh, on hand so I don't have to have those conversations. That's another great example of being an advocate for yourself and just coming prepared because if truly 
most of the time, if someone sees that you already have a drink in hand, they won't even ask. So I like that. Mm -hmm. Be prepared. All right, Sarah, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could talk to Sarah on day one, what would you say to her? I would say that your life is going to change so much in so many positive ways. You're still going to be you deep down. You're still going to be fun and funny and you're still going to have friends. You're just going to have such a bigger, fuller life. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> My favorite ice cream flavor is Blue Moon. And I laugh about this because I told Chris Oyen about this flavor and he went out and got it and he did not like it but it is my favorite so I still stand by my blue moon what what does it taste like what is it <laughs> so it's described as having some of somewhat of an almond flavor or like a fruity cereal flavor others have described it as kind of a marshmallow taste but I would go more towards like fruity cereal maybe like fruit loops who makes it well, Cedar Crest in Wisconsin makes it. I don't know if there's other, I'm sure there's other companies that make it, but yeah, it's this, it's this beautiful blue ice cream and I ate it as a kid and I still love to get my blue moon. We have some in the freezer right now. So if you ever come across it, I say, check it out. Okay. I'm going to add it to my list of flavors. I've never even heard of it. So I'm going to have to try it. And then we can either both disagree with Chris or maybe who knows. I'll let you yes. know. <laughs> What book are you reading right now, Sarah? I just started The Sober Lush. So I had seen that book online. A lot of people have been reading it. I'm only a chapter in, but that's my current read. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? I would say to stop thinking about all of the things that you're going to miss out on or lose by giving up alcohol, even just like reframing it and not thinking about giving up alcohol, but what you're gaining by removing that thing from your life. So really focusing on all the possibilities that could come from it. I love that. And before we depart, Sarah, give listeners your own. You may have to say adios to booze if lying. Oh, geez. You may have to say adios to booze if you black out on Easter Sunday at your in-laws house before American Idol premieres on Fox at 7 p.m. That may be the time for you to stop drinking. <laughs> yes, yes. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate you and I'm really happy that we had this chat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. And that's a wrap from our interview team. And before I say adios, I want to remind you of a few things. Love yourself hard this week. We don't have to drink to escape our feelings. They can be managed by us. They can be felt and held and processed. And if you need any extra support and accountability to stay sober through these days, please ask for help. You can email me, odette at recoveryelevator.com. You can call a friend. You can talk to your therapist. Just get ahead of it. Make a plan and think of the best possible outcome for yourself. You deserve it. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, Feliz Navidad. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story.
trying to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? My response is always the same. Burn the ships. It's these repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these same outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings. And it's these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts, thereby completing the cycle. If you can recognize this, you will be empowered to change your thinking.